What's up, guys? Welcome to Governor's Podcast with your host, Matt Trotrick, and myself, Peter Fendura. Hope you guys have a good day. This is a nursing podcast where we tackle hot nursing topics and current health news, one conversation at a time. All right, guys, give us the follow. Check us out on Instagram. Check us out on YouTube. Dollar episodes. We're here every Friday with you guys. Give us the five stars, five stars only. If it's any less, we don't want it. Just forget about it. Put your phone down. How's it going, Matt? Doing good, man. Before I say how I'm doing, I just wanted to thank the community for listening and tuning in and messing with us and hanging out with us because we're we're growing. We see it in the the downloads and everything. So we appreciate you guys and everybody on the um, the gram. I am doing pretty good. I'm actually really feeling this episode. I'm in a good mood. I'm gonna go um, choke somebody out later in jujitsu after this episode. So I'm pumped, man. How about yourself? I'm doing good. Got off a three in a row. So I was hanging out. Um, had somebody pick up our extra bed here. So the room's free, clutter free, bed free. So open up some room. So how's your three nights? How's your three nights? They're okay. Not bad. Um, it's January. Some people are getting sick. You know, they're they come in more sick than they usually do throughout the year. Usually January, February are like more of the sicker months, or usually more like. December through February are part of the second months. So we have a handful of people pass away and, you know, people are just sick. So it and is. And hope, hopefully in the next couple of weeks, hopefully we're not talking about coronavirus and death in the hospital, man, because it's something that's um, it's a little, could be potentially a pandemic as there's more cases in the United States. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Well, look at all the other things that they said were just, was going to be like really a pandemic or an epidemic or, or whatever the proper term is. Like swine flu was supposed to be huge and these other other flus that are supposed to be huge, they really didn't turn turn out to be anything really substantial. But like, you never know. This is, it's crazy because it's spread. And there's actually one case in our hospital. It was a rule out. I'm not sure it was positive or not. Um, you know, I'm at home now, so I can't really check. But I also work tomorrow night, so maybe I'll find out. We shall see. I know in California, they're slightly grown. But today, we're going to talk about patients, the families, the good and the bad, why families could be a benefit to most of us, or some, it might be a nightmare on your shift because they're so needy and things like that. So that happens. And we're also going to talk about the the current health news, which is we're going to talk about vitamin D and it's important in our importance in our system. That's correct, Pat. So vitamin D, it's a fat-soluble vitamin. Um, it's different from vitamin C because I know we talk about vitamin C in one of our episodes. Vitamin C is water-soluble. Vitamin D is, is fat-soluble. And it's important for for us to grow a healthy skin, healthy bones, uh, it packs our immune system. It's a vitamin, guys. So a vitamin is something that you, in, in, I guess, you would ingest vitamin D. It's not active in its regular state where you get it from the sun or from food. It actually gets activated once you, you digest it and it gets activated in your liver. And like I said before, this is very important into, very important with bone growth and tissue growth and uh, skin growth. Because as nurses, we all know that we need vitamin D to absorb the proper amount of calcium and phosphorus. And that's what kind of stimulates our, our bones to grow. Also, for those patients that are getting older, naturally what happens is we lose the calcium deposits, right? So we need more and more vitamin D. Especially if you're more up north, we talk about like the winter blues, right? So I wonder, there, I'm sure there's a correlation between maybe depression and vitamin D, but nothing is linked directly. And vitamin D, we don't have enough research on it yet. But let's just say we talk about the winter blues, how people get on more unhappy, get depressed. It's interesting how in winter we need more vitamin D. So it's a perk if you live up the warmer climates. And there's actually two types of, of vitamin D. There's 
a vitamin D2 and vitamin D3. And if I'm not mistaken, the vitamin D2 is derived from, from plants and vitamin D3 comes from the sun. So you go get sunshine, you go outside, the sun hits you, uh, the radiation. I'm not sure what kind of rays those are. I'm not sure if is the sun a gamma rays. I'm not sure if they're gamma rays or not. But the radiation from the sun causes you to develop vitamin D. And it doesn't really matter which form you get it from because they both get absorbed and then they get turned into a different active vitamin D in your liver. So both vitamin D2, the one you get from plants, and vitamin D3, the one you get from sun, they both get absorbed and they both get turned into this active vitamin D in the liver. And since we're talking on the topic of bones, so when people are deficient or when kids are deficient in vitamin D and their bones don't grow properly, that's called rickets. And then in adults, sometimes vitamin D deficiency causes a weakening of the bones in adults. And that's uh, osteomyelitis, I believe it's called. Yeah, osteomyelitis in adults. And those kind of are like the main things that we've probably heard from uh, poor diet or lack of vitamin D in our, in our system. And then you're talking about the winter, winter blues. And that's, that's true because especially for us night nurses, like we work when it's night outside. So we don't get any kind of sunlight when we're working. And plus when we go home, we go to bed. So we're lacking that sunlight as we sleep as well, because we have blackout curtains. We don't want the sun in our room or sleeping because that's going to wake us up. So night shift and vitamin D, there's definitely some kind of correlation between those two, because we're definitely not having it absorbed by our, by our skin and by our tissues. And we can only get so much from our diet. And it's like, it's kind of interesting because the way we were created is we are meant to be up during the day to absorb this natural fuel. What if it's like a super nutrient that we're going to find out in the future that we should all should have been taking. And like currently we don't have like guidelines that tell us exactly how much you should be taking. Like the government recommends 400 to 800 um, international units. So that's like 10 to 20 micrograms, but there are studies that are saying you need a thousand to 4,000. So it's like, we don't have a clear def definite, but we definitely should be taking it as a supplement or getting enough sunlight because it is linked to potentially less cancer and less bone fractures and some other things that like heart disease it's saying are like us government is not saying it's directly, Oh, it's preventative because there's not enough study to back it up. But I think there's a pretty good correlation. So the main, um, so, so when we think of vitamin D, the main thing we think about you know, as individuals is usually bones, calcium, phosphorus. But I believe, I think it was like the 19, 1960s or 1980s, a scientist actually discovered that vitamin D also plays a role in, in immune cells. Uh, certain T cells and certain uh, uh, B cells have, have an adaptation for them to attach to, to vitamin D and they use vitamin D to, to function properly. And over the years, studies have shown there's a correlation. It's not a really big correlation, but there's a correlation between vitamin D deficiency diets and vitamin D deficiency levels and Crohn's disease, IBS, and even cancers, and even uh, lung capacity along diseases. Wow, man. It's a super nutrient, guys. I think we should be consuming it possibly. Um, I, I kind of wanted to find out. It's kind of funny because I went to the doctors and I got my vitamin D level, level checked because I was thinking that I could be deficient. Maybe I'm more tired during the night shift after two years. Uh, I didn't find anything. It says my levels are good. What the problem is, is like, I wonder what kind of scale they were using to tell me if I'm good in like the percentage, because I think in Canada, they, they say you need 60, 75 nano, uh, nano moles per liter. 
I don't know what the American standard is. And I wonder how they were using that as a, as a medical, what is it called? As an indicator if I have low vitamin D deficiency. So honestly, I might look back at it when I'm back in Chicago. Do you know if they look at your vitamin D level or maybe they look at your calcium and your phosphorus levels? And when they found that the calcium and phosphorus was normal, they figured, hey, your vitamin D must be normal as well. See, I actually asked for vitamin D test itself. So I looked at it and I just cannot remember the lab value. I'm going to definitely check back and I'll let you guys know about it. Yeah, because I'm not sure if my doctor, because they don't do it on a routine panel, right? Vitamin D, I don't think so. But you there's patients, yeah, but there's patients in the hospital that get a vitamin D, I think it's an injection that, that they that they get, or I don't know if it's a pill. I'm not sure, but they take it like every every two weeks, I believe, if the patient gets it. But I know there's some kind of a vitamin injection that they could give in a hospital, but I'm not, I could be mistaken. They, I think that patient might have had a, a pill version though, but he takes it every other week. And even myself, I take vitamin D. Uh, I'm not sure how many milligrams it is, but I do take my a daily vitamin D just because I work nights and I don't feel like I get exposed to the sun as much as I should. I was taking supplements for a little bit of time and I kind of fell off. You know how you like order a bottle of uh, multivitamins and then you just stop taking them and you don't reorder. That's the habit I got on. So maybe I should just tell Alexa or I should have like a subscription service where they just keep sending it to me to stay on top of it. Is it because you forget to take it or you just forget to reorder it once the bottle runs dry? The bottle runs dry and I just throw away the bottle and then Matt's like, oh, I should need some vitamins. And here we are thinking about this idea. Yeah. So for me, I sometimes had an issue with uh, forgetting to take my vitamins. So I just put them right to my nightstand where my phone is on my nightstand because I usually have like a, a beaker of, of water before I go to bed and I, and I leave it there. And usually when I wake up, I put my vitamin or my vitamin container is next to that, that beaker of water. So when I wake up, I know where to take them. Because I know sometimes when I'm in, a, I'm in a rush, if I wake up late or I just say, oh, I have to do, like we sometimes neglect not taking, uh, we sometimes neglect taking the vitamins that we kind of just skip them over just, just because you want to save the extra minute or you just forget. So like right, right from the morning, right from the get-go, I just wake up, take the vitamin and then I'm, I'm set for the rest of the day. I might, I might get into that kind of habit. I'm going to buy a supplement today and I'm going to put on my nightstand. Do it today, so, huh? Tonight. So let's talk about uh, patients, right? Let's talk about families and how they could be a benefit or a negative to us. So all honesty, Peter, when you hear of the word family for a patient, do you associate it negatively or positively? To be honest, I probably associate it with, with it negatively. Like when someone says, yeah, and their family's here, what comes to my mind is, damn, I hope they're, hope they're cool. You know? And usually when a family is nice, the nurses would say, yeah, the family is here, but they're really nice. You know, when they say, but the family is here and they don't have anything after that, then you kind of know you're going to have a little bit of a struggle today. I feel the same way, man. Sometimes it could be a blessing, especially when you're getting a history and they're involved in care in a positive way. They're helpful. They understand. They, they have courtesy. Sometimes I feel like patients or families could be overbearing and it creates a problem. Like even to the point where sometimes the patient is a lot more calm when they're alone and the family goes home. And then when you're when the family comes and sees the patient, they literally have induced anxiety from them or they feel overwhelming. You can tell the monitor sometimes they have a higher heart rate. Like it's crazy like how all these things work and whether it's positive or negative depends on the outcome. When a family is there and they're, like you said, positive and they're helpful, that's, that's like such a good thing to, to be around because, you know, you could get, have a conversation with them. You could 
talk to them, how their, how their day went, what did they do for a living, you know, and you all get along. And, you, and when you have a family like that, you want to also include them in the actual care because most of the time when this patient leaves the hospital, who is going to be doing dressing change for them? Probably the wife, the husband, you know, the daughter, the cousin, the aunt, or whoever it is there. So you want to include them in their teaching and you want to explain to them the same thing you're explaining to the patient. You want to make sure that they're as knowledgeable as a patient because like I said, they're the ones going to be taking care of them and they're the ones that are going to be actually you know, going home. And it makes a good environment. Like you said, sometimes you know when the family is there, the patient is stressed or a little on edge. Like I had a patient uh, last night that uh, when she was talking to her somebody over the phone, like she had a few runs of VTAC, you know, and she didn't have that when she, when she was off the phone. And she had that twice for me, me overnight, like maybe seven beats, which is not really that big of a deal. But she had that twice for me. And uh, both times, like she was talking to somebody on, on the phone. And that was pretty interesting. Yeah, like it's it, well, that's one cool thing about the ICUs because these patients are always hooked up to the monitor. So we could literally, if as a new as a new grad nurse, you're probably gonna like see that less. But now that you kind of know everything, you're less task oriented. You can see what a family when a patient gets pissed about a family member and that affects their mood. So they're they're shit. They have a shitty mood for one. Sometimes they take it out on you, but you do see that change in the vital signs where their blood pressure is higher. There was times that I, have to, I had to give somebody hydralazine to lower their blood pressure because they are pissed about something that's outside of the hospital, but their thoughts create their emotions and they're pissed, man. Especially if you, if you have like a, like a mid-30s, mid-40s patient that has younger kids outside of here and they spend a lot of times in, a, in the hospital because like, the patients that I deal with, they're usually they're reoccurrent and usually they're there for a while. And some of them are in their 30s, 40s, and they have these younger kids outside. And they're stressed about their younger kids because the dad spent most of their time in a hospital and there's really no, no father figure there to kind of put the kid in line. And, you know, and that's kind of like, you hear about those stories where a person didn't have a good father figure in their life and, you know, they, they turn to doing, doing bad things, to, turn to doing drugs, and just being, you know, not, a, not a complying by the law. And you kind of see that, like, I tell my patients, like, I ask my patients, like, hey, they're okay. And they're like, they would vent, like, man, you know, I, I've been here maybe for eight months out of the, out of the year in and out. And then my, my kids are not getting good grades. I don't know what's going on. I can't really control it. I'm sick. I'm like, I can't go home without medications. I got to stand this primer core and, and the beauty mean for my heart. And I can't really see my kid and he's doing bad in school. And you kind of like, like, damn, that, that, like, that gives a perspective. Like that, that really sucks. Like that, that kid is literally has a lack of, of a father figure, even though a dad wants to be there, he literally can't or, he, or he's going to die. You know, and it's, it's very sad to, to see and very sad to, to deal with. Damn, man, that really hit home because I really don't have those as sick patients when it comes to like the hearts. But wrapping things around, because I wanted to kind of circle back regarding how we see hemodynamic changes based on how the patient feels or the family. It's funny how today I went to go get um, like a toxic drug screen and I had to get um, test, uh, fit tested for the N95. Well, my travel company never sent an N95. So they were about to tell me to reschedule because I didn't have a fit test mask. Luckily, I talked to the supervisor and I got away with it. But initially, he told me that. Then he checked my blood pressure and it was in the 150s. And I don't want to have on my physical to have hypertension. I need like pills, right? So I'm like, shit. So he's going to, he's going to, he was supposed to recheck it manual. I'm like, hold on, sir. Like, give me a couple minutes because my emotions are literally just kind of, like, I just got pissed. I had to kind of take a couple of deep breaths, you know, Matt, freaking meditating a little bit. So took a couple of deep breaths, rechecked it was in the 120s. But it's crazy how like families could affect you like that in a negatively way. 
Yeah, like your subjective, comes- your subjective thinking affects how we see you objectively as, as a patient. Like it's crazy how that all, that all works together. And that's like the whole mind-body connection. You know, we're one giant living organism that function as, as a whole holistic individual and everything impacts another thing. So what do we do when these, when these families are just not compliant? We just, we just don't get along. So what I usually do first is try to clear up what actually is going on. So why is a family member acting this way? Maybe they're upset because they're not getting enough education or they're not getting updated on what's going on. The nurse comes in, gives, gives the meds down the, down the peg tube and just doesn't say anything about the medication and they're frustrated because they're not sure what kind of medication they're getting. So you kind of have to figure out why they're acting the way they're acting. Why are they upset? Why are they angry? If if they are angry, you know, sometimes they don't want anything. They're just they're just a bunch of assholes, and that's just the way things roll. Sometimes and you just, just got to deal with it. Yeah, low key, man. Sometimes there's just family members that are assholes. You kind of really set set it point blank. Period. And one little tip, I feel like maybe that people should know. One thing that really irritates me is when the family member runs into the room when the pan when the patient is getting like let's just say admitted to the ER. Like a lot of people don't know that, hey, we're about to transfer them. There's about, there's about to be a lot of people in the room. We're going to wash her up. Like we're doing things that like just step aside a little bit. And most of the time, I'm not a nurse that gets stepped over. I usually tell a family member, hey, like we're going to need you to step out for a second. Can you wait in the waiting room? And I'm going to get you when the time is right. Then you have family members when we're putting a central line in, they don't freaking listen. They come in and they're just in a way Or I'm like, hey, man, we're not, we're not done yet. Okay. Or they try to walk into the room. Hey man, there's an x-ray coming in two minutes. You're going to have to leave again. Like they just don't, I wish they respected us a little bit more during, you know, that phase. And you know how you have helicopter parents. You also have like helicopter family members, like I was mentioning, it just like always hovering, always there. And if you really don't get along with them and you're really feeling heated, like, you know, you're feeling very angry, very frustrated and you kind of want to, and you just want to explode. The best thing you could do for yourself is definitely just leave the room. Say, Hey, I forgot to flush. Let me be right back. Hey, I forgot this. I'll be right back. And just leave the room and just, just kind of take a few deep breaths, walk around a little bit and try to you know let those emotions subside because there's no reason why we should be exploding or yelling at the patient's family members in any side, any any sort of way. It's it's hard sometimes, but it's not very professional. And if you and the family is not really agreeing on the it's a plan of care or the care that's being being done, talk to your manager. Have have them step in. Have them talk to, talk to the family because you should not be arguing with the family or anything like that over care. Yes. And that's one tip too, for you guys is to, if you have family members that are like unfocused with what's going on, they're arguing, like help them focus on the patient. And that happened with a patient that was on life support. Um, the, the mom basically filed charges with court that you, this, you know, the son can't be, the father can't see the son, but end of life care. We actually call the dad, the, the father to come in. They were divorced they're literally arguing with each other that this is their fault in the freaking room while the patient is on pressers while I'm hanging drips. So like the charge nurse asked the supervisor to come in and they said, Hey guys, so this is patient um, Susie Q on her deathbed. Like, let's just focus on the patient as there's angels around her in this time of death. Like, cause he died the next day, man. So like, sometimes you do have to just put focus because that patient needs to be in peace when they're literally dying and you guys are arguing. So there's like some shitty times that like it happens. That's like, it's messed up to see, man, but we do see that side of um, healthcare. You could also call like a code gray. I'm not sure how, uh, what color it is in your hospital, but for us it's, it's code gray. And you could call that when a family is really being, being disruptive and really argue with each other, just being, being allowed. And you, 
don't really know how to handle the situation, they'll call code gray. You know, they'll bring the police officers up. Police, police officers up there, and then probably a behavioral counselor or somebody that's that's going to help you in this situation. Because even though you might not be the source of the problem, the family might still take it up on you. And last thing you want is somebody screaming or yelling in your face, or worst case, you know, you're getting punched by by somebody or, or or pushed or shoved. So don't be afraid to call that cold grave. You know, it's not gonna it's not gonna hurt you in any any type of way because you can just provide a good patient care while the family is being unruly and, and aggressive toward each other. That's, that's not, that's completely taken. That's com- completely taken away the care from the patient and putting on a family. Like there's no, there's no sense of doing that. Like your family member is in a hospital. Let's focus on him. Like you said it, like I could have said it any better myself where you said, you know, Susie Q it's on her deathbed. Like there's angels around her. Let's focus, focus on her. And there is times where I've actually been really angry with, with family. And of course I couldn't really do any, do anything about it. So what I do during that time when I'm like frustrated, angry is I focus even more on a patient. So I tend to kind of, I don't want to say ignore, but kind of tune out the, the family. Cause sometimes they'll be making like random comments just trying to, trying to get you a little, a little frustrated, but they're not really asking any kind of question. They're just, they're just saying random things. So just try and tune them out and just focus on a patient. When you, when you talk, talk to the patient, you get the patient eye contact and just, I would, I mean, I guess you would say ignore. Ignore a family member, but you also want to answer their questions just because you don't want to, you don't want to be rude. But when they're saying these random comments, you know, you don't got to take part in that at all. Just try not to hear it. I'm actually remembering a story that was like very disturbing for me when it comes to like, so we're talking about families, how to properly deal with them. There was a weird family member and the son was super, super involved in her mom. Like, like what creeped me out is like, I'm wiping the patient's butt and like, he just circles around like, if you guys are on YouTube, he's kind of like looking and he's kind of like stepping in. He's like, oh, her poop is, we're talking about her poop, you know? And I'm like, I just felt a little bit uncomfortable. Like he's just so like involved. He's smelling the patient's poop. Like, wow, I'm like doing the care. I'm like, what the heck? So like the next time I'm just like, hey, you know, the patient's in pain a little bit. Do you mind stepping out for a second? I just, I felt like there had to be a little bit of a boundary I had to break because that was uncomfortable for me. Yeah, there was also a time for us where it was, um, a gentleman, I think her, uh, his, his daughter or stepdaughter or somebody. And like every time he was there, he would linger. Like, like you said, the guy that you dealt with and like, it just, it just seemed off. Like she would act different when, when he's around, he's super involved in, in this care. Like, like there during, during all the baths, just walking around, taking a look, looking at everything and just kind of making these weird remarks. And you kind of could, like your instinct is almost telling you that there's something definitely going on here outside of hospital. You know, there might be some abuse or some, uh, you know, some harassment or some sexual contact going on. That's not really appropriate, but you know, like sometimes you just, as much as you want to say something, you really can't, you got to wait for the, the guy to leave or where that person is to leave. And then try and talk to the patient about it. Be like, Hey, are you okay with, with him being here, here with you during the whole hospital stay? You're okay with him being here you know, during, while we wash you up during a bath. And, you know, this lady said that she said that everything's fine, but we kind of suspected that it wasn't. We just, there's nothing we could do. If the patient says like, it's, it's fine, let him do what he wants. Then you can't really, really do anything about it unless you actually see some neglect going on. And it's very, it's very you know, sad, sad to look at that. Then kind of, you feel powerless, you feel weak. Like in clinicals, we had those uh, shaken baby syndrome babies where, where it usually causes abuse, where, the mom or dad takes the takes infant and just shakes it, and then what causes a a fracture of their of their C uh, or C, C vertebrae, C spine, C vertebrae. I'm not sure if it's one or two or which which one it is, but that 
infinite is basically paralyzed. Uh, it's never gonna move, never gonna move again. It could breathe because the brainstem is fine. It's everything below the C section, the, the C, the C spine is completely flaccid. And you, you know that these injuries are caused by abuse and neglect. And before the snake gets involved, guess what? The family's gonna be in there. They could hold the kid. They could do whatever, do whatever they want because state hasn't hasn't got there yet to to intervene. So imagine being in that room with the infant that's now paralyzed for life. It's probably gonna you know eventually die in the next few years, um, maybe even less. Knowing that the family did this and the family's there crying, so sad, you know, holding on like they don't know how it happened. But you really do know how it happened. You you know how it happened because. A lot of times, most majority of times, like 90% of the times, these injuries are caused by by neglect, by trauma, by the kid being shaken because somebody's baby's want to just cry and they won't stop crying. And the family does not know what to do. So they just, they just shake them to get them to stop crying. And it's very unfortunate to see that happen. And you got to be in that room completely okay with it, like ignoring the fact that this is due to abuse. It's kind of it's fucked up that you mentioned a story. Like It's sad that, that this kind of like stuff happens. And... Just to, just one thing I thought about that gave me a lot of perspective is working med surge to ICU, right? So being in med surge, I've seen a lot more happy families, a little bit less like cases like this or emotional, psychological abuse, just dysfunctionality, like mental health things. So like jumping in from med surge, patients are a little bit more happier, a little bit more thankful when you left because they're more talkative. And when you get to these sick patients with a lot of core morbidities and they're usually most unhappy with their life. Like you see a lot more of these effed up stories. So we are more surrounded by negativity if you think about working ICU compared to like other nurses. And it sucks. And it takes a toll on us. It takes, it takes a toll on, our, on, on us, on the patients, on the families. And that's one thing we, we go through as nurses. Right, and like, uh, yeah. I also wanted to mention like um, boundaries. So like you definitely have to set boundaries as messed up as it sounds for people that are like not in healthcare listening to it. Like, we get walked over as nurses, man. Sometimes you got to put the foot down. And I, I I love to do it. Whenever a patient gives, whenever a nurse gives me like a hard report that says like, oh, this family's A, B, and C. I'm like, sometimes maybe it's my ego. I'm like, oh, don't worry. I'll take care of it. Because we, we have those times where we, hey, like, let's talk to the side. Let's, you know, let's go on the side. We whisper little things that happen with the patient and stuff like that and the family. Like, I love those challenges sometimes because I kind of handle the family well. I don't know if I set boundaries but that's one of those things like if there's like 10 six family members i'll limit it like if the family like gets in my way i'll say hey listen i'm delivering care let's just do two visitors and i sound like a dick but at the end of the day i have to do things which is best for mostly my patient and then also myself because that's to get my job done and there's those overbearing families so it's not black and white in nursing right we we don't know what's too much too little but you set the boundary as a nurse so definitely don't be afraid to do that because patient families can be taxing, but they also could be rewarding. And that's the beauty of healthcare where we walk in every day and it's a challenge to with patients and the family. And they're seeing in general, nothing is ever black and white, especially in healthcare. And it just never one side to the story. So when you guys, when you're dealing with family and the family is, is you know, I guess, when you're dealing with family and the family is helpful, be empathetic involve them in the care. And there's those times where we are going to have those negative family members. You always have the option of calling a cold gray, cold gray if they get disruptive. But also you kind of want to figure out why are they angry in the first place. If you're feeling heated, angry at the moment, try to step out, relax, because you shouldn't be yelling at the family members. 
And like Matt said, you have to set boundaries, set boundaries of what they could do, of what they can help you with, and just the way you talk to them and, and what you allow to them to say to you. I love that summary, Petey. Yes, sir. Um, let's wrap this one up. So guys, thank you for listening. If you guys are messing with us this long, um, a little secret, guys. Follow us on Instagram. Comment. We love interacting with you guys. Send us a DM. We'll send you guys a, like a video reply. We're doing a lot of community stuff. So check us out there and we'll see you guys next week. And don't forget, Patreon coming soon near you. Have a good one, guys. Peace out. Bye.